0: Thank mm-hmm. you. It's spring and you want to hike, bike, hit up the farmer's market. But the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit GreenlandProCleaning.com slash Overlook. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters, May 9th through 18th at the BB Theatre in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to the thesublimetheatre.org.
1: I am a maker, a builder, a baker, although sometimes my messes are all that you'll find. I'll tell a story, both true and allegory. Oh The
0: process is precious, so it takes up all my Noah bendix Baugley is a revered violinist, concertmaster with the Berlin Philharmonic, and a soloist who performs with orchestras internationally. He's also a native of Asheville. I recently spoke with Noah to get the details on his ambitious week-long residency with the Asheville Symphony Orchestra beginning March 11th.
1: I wanted it to be, as you said, a great challenge, but I also felt it's really a personal thing to take a break from running around my usual life and devote a little bit to this project to bring back to my hometown. This is The Overlook with Matt Pikin, a podcast
0: about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville. I talk with Noah about his training and career path and how his Jewish roots play into his music making. We also talk about his long connection to Asheville Symphony music director Darko Buderitz and the personal significance Noah feels in showcasing a broad range of violin-centered works in his native city. I began our conversation by asking Noah how important
1: Asheville was in shaping his musical immersion and education. When I was a kid, I started playing violin and was taking early lessons in Asheville. I studied with a couple of local teachers named Paul Statsky and also Mary Daniels, who for a while was the concert master of the Asheville Symphony. So, of course, that had an impact on my early development. And I was educated then elsewhere. In the end, who I am is a result of all those experiences I had growing up. And I think my childhood in Asheville, being around the nature and the mountains, I don't know exactly how that affected me, but it definitely (laughs) formed me a lot. The Asheville Symphony, did you go to concerts often? yeah. I think when I was a kid, of course, Asheville is not a metropolis. It's not a huge city. But I do remember going to Asheville Symphony concerts, going to see visiting artists when they were in the area. I remember my parents took me to see Yitzhak Perlman. And the other thing that was very... I think influential to me even being interested in music was that they always had the radio station on the local Yeah, WCQS,
0: radio the public radio um, and,
1: station. You know, so was, WCQS. Exactly. I'm sure that had a huge impact on me and that's a reason why I became interested in music.
0: You became serious about the instrument at a relatively young age. If you're growing up near Philadelphia, New York San Francisco, Chicago, you probably just have a lot more opportunity to study with fantastic people, have other peers, young peers who you're studying with. and, And I would imagine you would have to break out of Asheville in some ways to really become the musician you were to become. Am I correct in that?
1: Yeah, you end up having to go where the best best opportunities are. And that, that means in terms of, for example, summer camps, where do you go in the summers to get lessons or teachers? And, and of course, as you go along, that expands through high school and then going to study it at the university level or conservatory. I was lucky that my parents really... Made everything possible for me to pursue this passion of mine. Of course, now I look at it a little bit on on the other end, since I have a young son myself, and thinking about the kind of decisions and possibilities that my parents made, opened up for my career, everything that they made possible, and in some cases had to sacrifice their own needs to make it possible for me to, for example, go study with a particular teacher. Somewhere that was different. Sometimes we made family moves mostly because of that, even at an early age. So I was very lucky to have that. If you grow up in London or New York, of course, maybe the initial access to those kind of institutions is easier. But that doesn't mean it's not possible to start yeah. in, in a smaller town. You mentioned town um, the community. Brevard Music Center was in your backyard. Yeah, I, I do remember going to uh, concerts there. The summers, violin soloists coming through town. And I remember playing for some of them. And in the last decade, I have gone back a number of times to perform as a visiting artist, to play as guest concertmaster with the festival orchestra, and to teach there. So it's nice to have that in Asheville's backyard.
0: It seems a lot of musicians, particularly violinists, have to choose a path if they're going to be pursuing this as a career, whether they're going to pursue a seat in an orchestra and have that guaranteed good income if you're in a union orchestra and you pass through and get tenured you're set or if you're going to become a soloist that tourism hope to play with a number of different orchestras around the world seems like you've done quite a bit of both talk about your choice <laughs> your path cuz i haven't seen too many sitting concert masters also getting a lot of opportunity and opening themselves up to doing a lot of solo work.
1: Yeah, I guess I wanted it all. <laughs> when I was studying, I was going definitely to the route of violin soloists, which is a very challenging route to go. There are very few people who were able to make that their career and to maintain it. And I did a lot of big violin competitions, had relative success with that. But to make that a full-time profession is a very stressful endeavor. And out on the long run, it can be risky as well and involves constant sort of travel and competition and things. And I discovered that I love playing violin, and playing music in all these different kinds of ways, and not just as a soloist, which I love doing too, but also as particularly in ensembles where it's a joint communal kind of music making, where you have to come together and agree on something and make music together. I really love doing that, both in smaller ensembles and chamber music, for example, string quartet, but also in a great symphony orchestra. And that kind of fell into my path by chance. And then I discovered that this job of being a concertmaster is something that I really love doing. This leading from within, being leader among equals, facilitating communication between the conductor and the orchestra everything to make a performance and interpretation come to life and function you know the orchestra is a very big organism you got 80 90 100 people on stage all at the very top level all having their own opinions and approaches to things and you have to put together in a limited amount of time these performances and make everything work and so that that be that that leadership is something that I really relished getting involved in in, and taking that position. And because of the visibility of the position, first I had a position in Pittsburgh as concertmaster there of the symphony, which is a great American orchestra. And then when I moved to Berlin, because of the visibility of that position, then that led to opportunities to still and often play as a soloist, both with my own orchestra, but also on the road. I noticed the Berlin
0: schedule itself is really busy. Five days out of the week, you're performing concerts, at least this month.
1: Not all of those are full orchestra concerts, but generally, when we're in Berlin, we play three concerts a week in the Berlin Philharmonie in the big hall. And then there are a lot of other activities always going on. On the side of that, which are like chamber music groups made up of members of the orchestra, and then sometimes the whole orchestra goes on the tour for two or three weeks. And one of the unique things about this orchestra in Berlin is that there's a lot of flexibility with the schedule as well. For example, I'm one of three concertmasters. About a little over half the time, I'm playing here as concertmaster, but the rest of my schedule, there's flexibility and freedom to do other things. And without that flexibility, I wouldn't be able to be as active as a soloist or as a chamber musician. For example, like right now, this week, I'm playing here as concertmaster. Next week, we have some concerts in Vienna and Hamburg. And then after that, I come to America for a couple of weeks with an string quartet that I play with my wife, Shan Chen, who will also be coming to Asheville. And then of course, we have the residency in Asheville in March. And so my orchestra is still playing here in Berlin, but I just happen to have those weeks free to do other projects.
0: I want to get into what you're going to be doing in Asheville and how this residency even came about. But first, let's talk about the other groups you have. You're involved (laughs) in chamber music in Berlin and other ventures. Talk about the kinds of music you're most keen and interested to play, any particular composers or eras, any styles of music that you're looking to really bring out in your playing outside of the Berlin Philharmonic?
1: That's a great question. And it really resonates with how I feel. I guess the typical thing would be to play in the orchestra and play just what the composers are. They come up on the orchestra schedule, mainly the classical standards. And of course, orchestras now become more curious and adventurous, which is, I think is great, bringing in different kinds of music and composers and styles. But for me, that's always been the case. I've always loved folk music. I grew up around a lot of Eastern European folk music. My dad is a dance teacher and specializes in Eastern European folk dancing. (laughs) So since I played the violin, I was already hearing that kind of music at his workshops and learning it as well. Particularly, klezmer music has been something that's been a part of my life from an early age, and I've always been passionate about it. Is your family Jewish? Yeah, yeah, they're Jewish. And my dad, he's really an expert in the dance traditions and has really researched that dance traditions. And so I was around it. I loved the music. I started to learn that kind of music as well and have tried to keep doing that. And so that's been a really important counterweight to the very classical playing, is the freedom and expression that you get when you're playing Classical music, or Hungarian gypsy music, or Romanian music—the freedom to improvise a bit, try things out differently, to really find different kind of grooves—and that's something that I really like. And I have a group here in Europe called Philharmonics with an X at the end, a septet, which is mostly made out of some members of the Berlin Philharmonic and the Vienna Philharmonic. And basically, our credo is to play all the music that we would never get to play in our orchestras, and especially composed and arranged for our ensemble. Have you composed music yourself or had music commissioned for you? You set me up very well for that question. I have, and the inspiration behind that was this love of klezmer music. When I was in Pittsburgh, I, I had the idea, I wanted to have a violin concerto with orchestra for me to play in the klezmer style that brings that style to the concert stage. And in the end, I ended up composing that myself. And I premiered it in Pittsburgh in 2016, worked together with a a great American composer, Samuel Adler, who orchestrated it. So, yeah, we did that in Pittsburgh. And since then, I've done it many times in America, in Germany, even in Asia. So it's become a bit of a signature that I'm able to bring to the classical concert stage with full orchestra. Wow. So
0: this is the first artist residency in Asheville that I'm aware of, at least certainly under Darko
1: Buderitz. How did this come about? Darko's an old friend. We went to the Indiana University Bloomington at the same time together. And um, when I was a student there, I played under his direction a few projects. So I knew him from then. And when he got the job in Asheville, I was very excited to see that. And then, yeah, we started talking about doing something together. I remember he came over to my parents' place and we were taking a walk in the woods there, a little hike. And Darko's has a great folk music background too, from Serbia and loves that type of music too. And we were thinking about something really interesting and fun to do together. And we came up with this idea of celebrating the violin, really exploring how many different violin traditions there are. And could we try to put that all in a festival in Asheville with the Asheville Symphony and different constellations with the whole orchestra and smaller groups so yeah then we started brainstorming and come up with a crazy week of violin so tell me about this crazy week it's really
0: unusual usually when a soloist comes in for a program they have their piece that they perform yeah. and you know they're almost never, are workshops and community efforts. This is much more involved. Talk about how you co-curated with Darko what this week will be and the span of music and the span of activities that go beyond just mere concerts.
1: We have a bunch of concerts in different locations that are also in different constellations, different ensembles. And we wanted to to really show all these different aspects of what the violin can do. So with the big concert, with the Asheville Symphony, which is an all concerto concert, and my wife, Shenzhen Yao, who's a wonderful violinist, she used to play in the Pittsburgh Symphony and the New York Philharmonic as well. And we play a lot together chamber music. So she's going to join as well. And we're going to play the Bach double concerto for two violins, which is a classic work and then she's going to play a chinese work she was born in china she grew up there before going to conservatory in america but she's going to play a wonderful chinese work called the butterfly lovers concerto and then in the second half of that concert i'm going to play the brahms violin concerto so that's with the full orchestra we have a program with chamber orchestra with a smaller portion of aso musicians which I think it might already be sold out, actually. We're going to go a little crazy with the styles. We're going to go from classical to bluegrass, jazz, klezmer music, some Serbian folk music, some of Darko's arrangements, klezmer arrangement of mine. So that's the runs the gamut of styles. And then I have... A solo violin sonata, recital, where I'm going to play some different sonatas. And that's a real challenge. That's a, my personal sort of, I threw down the gauntlet for myself, <laughs> to play for just first violin alone, solo Bach, because the solo Bach sonatas and partitas are such an important part of the repertoire. And then it was really important for me to tackle the Bela Bartok solo violin sonata, because there's some important musical history in Asheville that I don't know that many people know about, which is that Bartok, at the end of his life, had emigrated to America. He had been living in New York, but then was in bad health. And his doctors suggested that he needed, for the winter, a milder climate with better air. And they suggested he come down to Asheville. And he spent about a half a year in Asheville. And during that time, he had gotten a commission from the great violinist Yehudi Menuhin to compose a solo violin sonata. And he did that there. He finished it in Asheville. I even looked up the exact date. When was that? Uh, March fourteenth, nineteen forty four. Oh. And so as luck would have it, my recital is eighty years to the day afterwards. And this is a really challenging work for the violin. It's one of the hardest things I've ever played. He really throws everything at the violinists. And his music also is challenging to listen to, but it's great music. Really elements of Hungarian folk music there and frequent references to Bach and what came before him. So that was important for me to tackle that.
0: What an amazingly challenging week that you've put together for yourself (laughs) and really diverse. I know how difficult it is for musicians to prepare just for one program and the kind of rehearsals that you have to undertake just on your own. All musicians do on their own to rehearse and prepare for a program. You've taken on a real variety of work here to do this. What's the significance for you personally of doing this in Asheville?
1: I wanted it to be, as you said, a great challenge, but I also felt it's really, for me, a personal thing to take a break from running around my usual life and devote a little bit to this project to bring back to my hometown and to put in this work. And it means a lot to do it at home where my parents live, to come to town with my family, with my wife, who's also going to be playing doing workshops with the youth orchestra. And of course, a lot of the time as a performer, as when I'm going around with my orchestra as a soloist, a lot of the times I'll come to a city one day, we have a rehearsal, the next day we have a concert, and then we're back on the road again. And that's part of the profession, but it means a lot more to be able to stay a little longer, to get a little more deeply involved with the community and get to meet people from the audience, talk to them, have workshops with young musicians. I'm going to be playing with the youth orchestra, a couple of pieces on their concert. I think it's on March 18th mm. as a soloist, but also we came up with the idea that one of the pieces I'm going to sit as concertmaster and lead from there. And that's, for me, I remember as a kid, that those experiences were so important to be able to sit next to people who were really performers and professionals and learning by actually playing together was so meaningful for me. So I hope that I can maybe offer that to some folks who are just starting out. For me, it's like a huge project, but something that I've been looking forward to as soon as we came up with it, with Darko and we were talking and it's just, felt oh, I don't know who's tried to do this before. Let's do it in Asheville.
0: If you value The Overlook's place in Asheville's media landscape, please consider joining dozens of others who are supporting the show through my Patreon crowdfunding page. Become a member for as little as $5 a month. Visit patreon.com theoverlookpodcast. Our first look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. The theme song for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes to us courtesy of the Asheville duo, The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on any social media channel at AVL Overlook. And I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook with Matt Pykin. Hey everyone, Matt Paikin here from The Overlook and I'll get back to my conversation in just a moment. But I'm asking you, the listener, yes, you listening this very moment, is The Overlook making a difference in your connection to Asheville? Do you know more about what makes this city tick and where we're struggling? If you had to give up one cup of coffee every month to do your part to keep this show going, would you step up? If you answered yes to any of that, and I really hope you did, please join dozens of other listeners by supporting The Overlook with Matt pikin through my Patreon campaign by giving just $5 a month. Give it higher levels and you'll earn free tickets to my live podcasting events. Your support means the world to me and helps keep this show free for anyone to hear. Go to patreon.com slash theoverlookpodcast.